I'm reading Luke 17, 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you had faith the side of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave, who has just come in from plowing and tending the sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather him to prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you think that the slave do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The word of God for the people of God. Aren't they wonderful? Yeah. My youth. Aww. Your youth, you know. You made them, I didn't. All right. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> For most of the this part of Luke's gospel story, Jesus has been on the move toward Jerusalem. As he walked, he's been challenged by the Pharisees with just about everything that he said, but he has kept walking. He kept meeting with the sinners and teaching and preaching along the way. By the time we meet Jesus in chapter 17, in this passage, Jesus is speaking just to his disciples, the 12 and probably a few others. Luke uses both words, disciples, and apostles in this passage. And the point there is a little bit of foreshadowing. Remember that the gospel according to Luke is the first part in a two-volume set, the second being the book of Acts. The word apostle comes more into place in Acts, meaning those who were removed from Christ, from the living Christ, as they began the preaching and teaching of the early church. As disciples, they are students. As apostles, they will become the teachers. The chapter starts out with Jesus reminding his disciples not to place stumbling blocks in front of those who are new in their faith. I wish the lectionary would have added those first five verses into the reading this week because they are so important. He mentions in the first five verses that the blocks are going to arise by themselves over the course of life, so the disciples should not add to the burden of those who are trying so hard to have a change of heart. He reminds them to encourage those who are new in their faith, that if they stumble, correct them, but do not hold their mistakes over them. When someone has true metanoia, which is the Greek word for a change of heart, when they are truly repentant, then the students of Christ need to reconcile with them. They need to let them off the hook, let them pull themselves up over the stumbling block without holding them back and down. I think about families that have had issues with a member over the course of time. 
I'm not sure if it's all families, but I've known a few that have a hard time letting anyone off the hook. No matter how long it's been or how someone has grown, their past is often thrown back in their face. A recovering addict will always be an addict in the opinions of some. It doesn't matter that they've been clean for 10 years, making a good living, taking care of their responsibilities. They're always going to be the idiot that screwed up. And this is the exact behavior that Jesus is warning against in those early verses of chapter 17. In response to Jesus' request that they not hold someone's past against them, that they, when they have true metanoia, the disciples request more faith. In hearing that they would need to be forgiving and reconciling with others, they decided it must be something that is too hard unless you've got a huge sack of faith sitting next to you. By the disciples' understanding, it was hard to do all the things that Jesus was preaching about. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to confront. With more faith, it would be easier. And sadly, again, the point was missed. More faith won't make our lives as Christians easier. The faith that we have is enough to work to do the work of Jesus Christ here on earth. The Gospels have shared the parable of the mustard seed over and over. It's mentioned in both Matthew and Mark, as well as in chapter 13 of Luke. It's mentioned a lot, which means it must be important, right? The mustard seed is the smallest seed on earth. And yet with proper care, the seed grows into one of the largest bushes. Its small amount and size does not dictate what it can produce. Please, Jesus, increase our faith. The request of the disciples suggests that someone else is in charge of an individual's faith. Faith, no matter what you believe, practice, hear, don't hear, agree with, don't agree with, is your faith. It is your relationship with God. If you have a strong relationship with God and have a strong faith, then the actions of others will have little effect on your faith. That part is up to you. No one else has the ability to give nor take away someone else's faith. This request of the disciples ties into the last several weeks as we have talked about stewardship. Most of the parables in chapter 16 were focused on the behaviors of the Pharisees. But after this request of increased faith from the disciples, Jesus saw that they too needed some course correction, another chance to hit the mark. To suggest that one needs more faith is to suggest that faith is a commodity. That it is something material to show that one is in better standing than those around them. The disciples heard Jesus speaking that you cannot serve both wealth and God, so they changed their currency of money to that of faith. 
But faith is a verb. It is a way of life. It is how we treat other people. It is how we use what we have been given for the good of those in the world. It is not just about belief and prayer, but of action. There is no hierarchy in faith. There is no one that is better than someone else because of their amount of faith. Faith does not put some on a pedestal while keeping others down. We are all servants of God with whatever amount of faith we have. This passage is a hard one for some to listen to, especially those who are always on the lookout for praise and recognition. Jesus reminds the disciples that having faith in God is nothing to be praised for. It is something they're supposed to be doing anyway. It is like asking for a gold star for taking out the garbage the night before garbage day or getting the dishes washed up. No, I'm not going to give you praise for doing something that you should be doing anyway. We aren't going to have a party each weekend because you went to work or school like you were supposed to. Or praising and celebrating a parent for staying home with their children. Fathers aren't babysitting, they're parenting. Like they're supposed to. Jesus is not going to increase our faith, our praise, or praise us for having faith. Because it is nothing short of what we, as the servants of God, are supposed to be doing. A life in faith is its own reward. As Jesus was standing in front of the disciples, the Pharisees, and those still trying to figure things out, he gave instructions on how to live in this new love ethic. The way of Jesus Christ is the transformation in our lives that allows us to live into that life of love. And that is the reward. When we live into that life, everything around us shifts. Our perceptions of how we see the first and the last, how we see loss and gain, it all means something different when we live the life shown us through Jesus Christ. This part of Luke is like an origin story for the heroes of the book of Acts. They struggled to believe and to understand the full weight of Jesus Christ. And they saw what he was doing. They witnessed firsthand the miracles that he performed. They heard firsthand the words that he shared. If they struggle with it, then it's not strange that we also struggle with it. To understand or to allow ourselves to live in such faith. But even with just a mustard seed's worth of faith, we have enough. We can see life and love the way that Jesus Christ saw it. This passage has been used over generations to keep people down. Like a lot of scripture, it has been misinterpreted to suggest that 
that people might not have enough faith. I hear people speaking to others from time to time saying, if only you had more faith, then this wouldn't be happening in your life. Or you're suffering with this illness or problem because you don't have enough faith in God. Let me be clear about this right now. When we suffer, it does not mean we do not have enough faith. Suffering is an unfortunate byproduct of earthly living. A lack of faith has nothing to do with it. We know that God is with us through our suffering and does not cause our suffering because we lack faith. To suggest such a thing is to throw up one of those roadblocks that Jesus has been warning us about over and over again. When the people we love are struggling and suffering, it is our duty to remind them to have hope in the Lord, to encourage them to keep their faith in God and their faith in their faith in God. By suggesting otherwise, we add insult to an already festering wound. And we insult God, who we know loves us and those that are, in, that are struggling. We all give a lot of excuses as to why we cannot live the most faithful lives possible. We focus too much on what we do not have, whether in our personal lives, professional lives, and even in our ecumenical lives. There is no end of the excuses of why we can't. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough volunteers. We're out of energy. What Jesus tells us through the scriptures, and in particular this passage, is that God has given us enough for everything that we need. We have enough. And we have enough faith within each one of us to go out and do more. We have enough to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of this world. I leave you with this. If we have enough, what are we doing with it? Amen.